0: Hello and welcome to this BGSN podcast. I'm Ted Chapandier at the University of Manchester. Joining us today is Professor Graham Close, Professor of Human Physiology at Liverpool John Moores University, and a nutritionist who works closely with England Rugby, Everton Football Club, and several European Tour golfers. Graham, thanks for joining us.
1: No problem at all, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Graham, I'm going to start off with when a new athlete comes to see you for the first time, how do you assess their nutritional needs?
1: Well, b- before I even uh, have a consultation, I need to have done my homework. Um, I need to find out as, as much as I can about that person. But also, if it's a sport that's new to me, um, certainly need to know a lot about the demands of the sport. I think too many nutritionists and dietitians will, will work with an athlete without really understanding the training demands. So the first thing we want to know is, if we're going to change somebody's diet, we, we need to know exactly what they're putting their body through on a day-to-day basis. Um, when it comes to the first consultation... I guess that depends if it's going to be a one-off or if it is a start of a series of consultations. If it's what I'd prefer to be a series of consultations, that first one is often just getting to know each other. Um, Nutrition is quite an emotional, um, it's a real personal thing and to start changing somebody's diet without understanding the person uh, sometimes can just set yourself up for a fall. So, So I try and get to know the person a bit better, try and work out the why, so why is the diet not where it needs to be, rather than just if it isn't where it needs to be. Uh, And then once I get to know the person and get to know the the decisions a little bit more personally, then I think we can begin to put some interventions in place.
0: Okay, so if you were dealing with a team, would you have sort of individual meetings with the athletes?
1: That's exactly what we do. Um, Early on in this career, I, I was perhaps doing too many group presentations uh, and when you work out with a team, or when you start working more closely with a team, you realise that you know, these are a group of individuals that just happen to be in a team sport. So giving generic talks will often maybe engage two or three people in the audience, and, uh, and the others are thinking, this is nothing to do with me. So as much as I can, we, we have one-on-one consultations.
0: What sport would you say is the most challenging to work with?
1: Uh, look, they're all challenging in their own ways um, I, I, one that I found particularly challenging was when I was the lead nutritionist for a British ski and snowboard team uh, challenging one because they're all over the world and it's quite hard to get consultations but, but two um, a lot of these in this sport are, are what are best described as free spirits so to try and be a bit prescriptive with diet uh, didn't work at all so I had to really change um, change my practice and my techniques I also find believe it or not rugby a challenging sport and this is a sport that I played all my life and I've worked in all my life but if you think about a rugby team we can go from having 75 kilogram wingers desperately trying to um, increase muscle mass doing very similar training to 130 kilogram forwards maybe trying to drop fat mass so each player has completely unique uh, challenges
0: what would you recommend for the number of times an athlete eats per day and the calorie
1: intake? As I started off by saying, in terms of a calorie intake, the first thing we need to try and quantify is energy expenditure. And I think too many times people have come up with diet plans without really understanding the energy expenditure. And, and if you think about a, a rugby team, um, on some days their energy expenditure could be as high as 6,000 calories. And then on the rest day that might be down at two and a half to 3,000 calories. So the key thing that we need to do with uh, nutrition, with a modern day professional, is have the ability to be adaptable, and we need to periodize our nutrition day by day, may, uh, meal by meal, to try and um, m- uh, match that as best as we can to the energy expenditure. In terms of number of feeds per day, well, again, that varies depending on what I'm trying to achieve with the athlete, but I'd say typically what we're trying to do in sports like rugby, is uh, try and feed them around about every four hours to make sure that we are getting a protein intake every four hours-ish so we're maximising that protein synthesis response but I'm also not adverse to um, looking at uh, delaying that morning uh, breakfast feeding in athletes who are trying to drop weight so we, we may maybe just have a little bit of protein in the morning to preserve muscle mass and we might delay that feed until after training so, so again it, it depends on the athlete that I'm working with
0: Okay, you mentioned about uh, athletes, trying to get them eat, eating every four hours. How important is it about having a pre-match meal or a pre-competition, food, pre-competition food?
1: I think one of the biggest mistakes athletes made uh, make, and they still make, is thinking that pre-match meal is the key one for loading and the key one for getting their energy stores ready for that competition. We spend a lot more time focusing on match day minus one, so that the day before the game, And that's a day where we're really trying to um, maximise muscle glycogen, so we need to make sure that we're eating properly on that day. When it comes to a pre-match meal, if if we've had a good breakfast and we've loaded the day before, well, both liver and muscle glycogen should be uh, full. So all we're doing in that pre-match meal really is just a small bit of nutrition maybe to top up liver glycogen and to uh, stop the athlete feeling hungry. So that pre-match meal can often be a lot lighter than a lot of people may think.
0: What about manipulations should be made to the diet post sort of injury?
1: So, so, when we get an injured player, again, it depends on the extent of the injury. Um, if it's a completely immobilised athlete, then that'll be a very different diet to somebody who's just got um, a localised injury where we can still move. Uh, it, again, it gets back down to energy expenditure and energy intake. We, we've got to first of all realise that in a sport, for example, like rugby, where on a hard training day we might get through 6,000 calories. These people might be down to 2,500 now. So suddenly we've got to drop our uh, nutrition um, to make sure we're not putting on excess body fat. I, the other thing that we really try and look at is any subtle things that we can do to maybe uh, maximise regeneration. So there's some nice data at the moment coming out from uh, Keith Barr's laboratory. Uh, where he's been showing that things like collagen can maybe help with um, tenderness injuries. Um, we may be looking at uh, things like the fish oils we, from a bone injury. We may have to look at sp- some specific things, uh, for example, the vitamin D and uh, intake. So, dependent on the extent or the nature of the injury, we'll we look at specifics that can help. But again, the first thing I try and sort out is the uh, intake and expenditure.
0: Okay. Uh, you mentioned things like fish oils and vitamin C, uh, what are your opinions sort of, regarding supplements use? So
1: I, I always start off by saying there is a supplement not a substitute and the first thing we try and get right is a diet. So it's becoming very trendy these days to talk about a food first approach but I still believe passionately in that that we can get so much more goodness out of food than we can out of uh, trying to replace all the goodness in food with a tablet. Having said that, there are some supplements that you are not going to get in sufficient quantities in diet, which we know have got some proven benefit. So, for example, in the right context, creatine supplementation can be advantageous. Uh, Betralanine has got a lot of good literature now as a really potent buffer. You mentioned vitamin D, which uh, we tend to give in the wintertime because of the known vitamin D deficiencies. Uh, A lot of athletes and general public, probably don't eat enough oily fish. So we do look at um, Omega 3. But there's a growing literature on probiotics and gut health, and I'm very interested, and in, I've got a PhD student, Jamie Pugh, working on gut health in athletes at the moment. And if we can improve that, I think we can have some big uh, big wins. So we might look at probiotics. Um, but not many more, really. Um, protein supplementation, if a player can't hit the protein requirements daily, but if they can, I'd prefer to do it by food.
0: Is there any set of supplements that you would definitely not recommend using?
1: Um, where would we start? Um, let's just put all fat burners to bed at first. You know, if there was a fat burner, we wouldn't have an obese society. We would just all take a tablet and we'd be fine. So the fat burners don't work, or the ones that maybe work, are prohibited in sport. So, you know, I'd certainly put them to bed. I'm also not a huge advocate of things like the testosterone boosters. Um, I I just don't see a need for things like that, uh, and I don't see any real solid evidence that would support its use. Um, And I get very worried about uh, lots of herbal supplements because of the quality assurance processes and the testing. One thing I will say is that any supplement that we give to an athlete has to be screened. For prohibited substances. Now, at the moment, um, a lot of people are using the LGC laboratory or the Informed Sport program. But whatever we do, we have to do our due diligence and make sure that what we're giving um, is as safe as we possibly can make it.
0: Um, a lot of a lot of athletes I see using caffeine these days as a supplement. What's your opinion on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, caffeine perhaps is one. But <clears throat> excuse me, I, I should have mentioned. Um, Caffeine is, again, one that has got some really good proven benefits. Um, We need to get the timing of it right and the dose right. Um, The dose of it doesn't need to be as high as we used to think. Around about 2 milligrams per kilogram body mass would be an effective dose of caffeine, given around about 30 to 45 minutes pre-exercise. And there is some quite good evidence that that is going to enhance performance. So we we, we do use caffeine because currently it's, uh, it's not on the a uh, wider band list, it's it's on the monitored list, so we are monitoring the use of it, but at the moment it, it is um, it isn't prohibited in sport, it's got an ergogenic benefit and we can get tested products, so uh, yeah, I, the thing to add to that is a good espresso will be just as good as a uh, a caffeine tablet, so maybe we'll get to our favourite coffee shop 30 minutes pre-exercise.
0: Indeed. Um, yeah. Also, another another very common supplement using by athletes now is beetroot juice. What do you think about
1: that? Yeah, beetroot juice um, again has got some good evidence from Andy Jones in Exeter. Uh, the idea being that beetroot is very high in nitrates, which in the mouth is converted to nitrite, which is a, a, as your listeners will be very aware of that to be an alternate pathway for nitric oxide synthesis. And Andy Jones has shown quite nicely that that can lower the cost, the oxygen cost of exercise. So actually make that exercise um, slightly easier if being an elite athlete can be slightly easier. Uh, However, you know, there's no reason to say that we can't be trying to do that from a food approach. So certainly uh, with some of the elite teams that I work with, match day minus one and even on match day, we'll start to introduce things like beetroot salads into the menu. Will uh, again high in nitrate. We'll look at uh, rhubarb, really high in nitrate, uh, and some of the green leafy vegetables again, which are high in nitrate. So if we can, we will do it from a from a food first approach.
0: Okay. Um, a lot of research is now coming back about, about using hydration and electrolyte replacements. What's your take? What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, the the whole hydration things. Uh, is a real controversial area at the moment as I'm sure you're aware where when I was an undergraduate it was all about uh, drinking every 15 minutes to prevent dehydration and certainly whatever you do you don't let yourself go over a 2% dehydration Uh, and that research has been questioned. Um, My take on it is that we need to start exercise hydrated. A lot of the research has shown problems with dehydration have actually got the subjects to start dehydrated uh, and not let them drink during exercise. So I think we need to start exercise hydrated and I think we need to drink to thirst during exercise. I think for some longer duration sports, as well as drinking to thirst, I think athletes need educating to drink, but I'm not a big advocate of forcing it into people. But then the important thing for me is to monitor uh, the weight loss and rehydrate properly after exercise. So we're starting before and we're rehydrating well after. Uh, and in terms of your electrolyte question, well then, yeah, we, we do know that the sodium content is particularly important in um, holding on to that fluid for want of be a better term. So we do use electrolyte tablets at times in our hydration drinks. But again, let me just throw a, a food first approach in. in that there's some really nice research from uh, uh, people like Emma Stevenson and, and many others now showing that milk... Because the sodium content and the fat content, it's probably the best rehydration solution you're going to get. So, uh, Grandma was right. You know, a glass of milk pre-bed is probably a great way to uh, rehydrate.
0: On the topic of bed, are there any foods which can help to improve sleep and stress management? (sighs)
1: Stress management, I wish. do you know what, sleep is a really important area of nutritional research at the moment and there has been claims for supplements such as ZMA but I just can't really see the evidence uh, in there. There's also things like 5-HTP um, which is you know, downstream of uh, tryptophan where again there is some, I would say at best, weak evidence. You know, It's something that my lab are going to do some research in at the moment. We, we have looked at ZMA and we, we didn't see any benefit of that. Uh, we are going to look at the 5-HTP and, and tryptophan story. Um, I just think when it comes to sleep, often there's much bigger fish to fry. You know, are, are, Do athletes have a good sleep, um, sleep hygiene regime? Are they timing the food right? Are they eating too late? Are they, are they playing on the phones pre-bed? Have they got the bedroom as dark as we can get it? All the other things. I think if they've done all that and they're still struggling with sleep, then maybe we do need to look at some of the nutritional strategies.
0: Is there any uh, take-home messages you'd have for any clinician working in sport? Don't be scared of seeking advice from appropriately
1: qualified individuals. And and at this point, I need to give a shout to the Sport and Exercise Nutrition Register, SENR, which is the the register that uh, regulates sport nutritionists in the UK. Uh, All these people will be qualified to give supplement advice and um, sport-specific nutrition advice Uh, I think it's unfair that conditioners in sports teams are often asked to do this. We wouldn't be asking our conditioners to suture our players after a game, but we ask our conditioners to deliver supplement advice, which I just can't understand why we do. So seek qualified advice, I would say, um, and don't underestimate the importance of basics. So arrange for cooking lessons for your players. Take them to the supermarket and show them where they get the healthy foods from. Um, Make sure they understand basic food hygiene. Make sure you understand the power of food. Uh, and once you get all that right, uh, you'll see huge improvements.
0: Excellent stuff. Uh, thanks for the fantastic tips, Graham. And thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And please provide any suggestions for future podcasts on social media. And have a great active day. Cheers. Thank
1: you.